Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We thank you for that. And we have plenty to talk about today. We're going to get the very latest on this, uh, what we hope will be a final decision on this uh, these gap year waivers to the renewable fuels standard. We're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll also later talk with Kurt Kavarik, vice president, federal affairs for the National Biodiesel Board, and Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Also today, the American Farm Bureau Federation has sent out a questionnaire to both the Biden and Trump campaigns uh, a list of questions on ag issues, asking about their position on these uh, ag issues. And we'll talk with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll go over the questions that were asked and the responses from each campaign, each candidate. That's coming up later in today's program. But let's start it off with the big uh, announcement we think that is coming on a decision on these gap year small refinery exemptions to the RFS. We bring in now Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. What's the latest? Do we have a, a final decision on this final word or not? Well, Mike, thanks for having me. We're, we're still awaiting official confirmation from EPA or the, or the White House uh, on exactly what's going on. But uh, you know, I think everybody knows that a few weeks ago when, when President Trump was in Iowa, uh, Senator Ernst really pressed him on these just ridiculous gap year refinery waiver requests and he told senator ernst he would personally speak with epa about it um it appears that he did in fact uh, have that conversation with with epa and and we're hearing that president trump uh, directed the agency to just throw out those 67 gap year petitions so if those reports are accurate and if we're able to confirm that that's what's happening you know it would obviously be good news for the ethanol industry, good news for farmers. We've been fighting these small refinery exemptions for several years now. Um, we couldn't believe just the absurdity uh, of, of these gap year petitions in particular. Uh, so it would be very good news if, if uh, EPA is, in fact, closing the door once and for all on these uh, insane uh, gap year petitions. I would say better late than never is how I would describe it if, indeed, we get this. But... On the other hand, while it would resolve those gap year uh, requests, it doesn't really say, they, they're not saying, are they, they're going to change the way they approach uh, future requests. Well, that, that's where things get kind of kind of sticky, because if EPA were to deny or reject all these 67 gap year petitions, you know, remember, really the reason those were filed in the first place is so refiners could claim that they're in compliance with the Tenth Circuit Court decision and, and they're, you know, trying to establish uh, retroactively a string of continuous exemptions. So if EPA doesn't grant those gap year refinery requests, uh, then it's, you know, then, then, then they have no justification for granting the other uh, petitions that are currently pending, and there's 31 of those that are sitting at EPA. So, um, you know, EPA could really only attempt to grant those 31 remaining exemptions if they also had granted the gap year waiver. So it's all tied together. 
Um, and, of course, a lot of this is going to depend on uh, whether or not the Supreme Court decides to review the Tenth Circuit Court decision. The refiners filed their appeal with the Supreme Court just last Friday. Um, so that plays into all this as well. Yeah, I understand what you're saying uh, as far as they're tied together. But on the other hand, we've had this court decision sitting there for some time and they didn't abide by it. So I, I you know, I don't know that the, they, they would go by that or not. Uh, I mean, to me, this sounds like a way for for the time being going into an election of what ex- looks to be a tight election. Uh, this buys them time. I mean, the administration can say, hey, we're to you. You were not granting these uh, gap year waivers, but say to the oil industry, but that doesn't mean we won't grant them in the future. Yeah. Well, and that's right, Mark, uh, Mike. And, and, you know, we weren't born yesterday, and, and we understand the political ramifications of of, of what's happening. Um, and, you know, we're going to be approaching this whole thing with, with caution. Um, but I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for EPA to try and reverse or undo um, denials of these small refinery exemption petitions uh, if they if they in fact move to deny or reject these petitions before the election, I think it would be really hard uh, for the agency, and and certainly they would be uh, exposed legally um, if they tried to undo uh, something after the election. Um, so, but you know, like you said, I w- with this EPA, we we've learned uh, to never count your chickens until they've hatched, and and even then, um, you got to keep a close eye on those chicks. So. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're keeping a close eye on it. But it looks to be, if this does get confirmed, to be very good news, long-awaited news, long-overdue news. Now, what's the latest on the Brazil tariff situation? Yeah, that's, that's another issue that, uh, of course, is, is playing out uh, in, in just the, you know, the months before the election here and has implications. Um, but we're, we are hearing that uh, Brazil is, in fact, planning to extend the tariff-free quota on ethanol imports, but just for 90 days. Uh, I think, as you know, that tariff rate quota uh, expired on August 31st, and that means all ethanol imports currently going into that country are subject to a 20% tariff. Uh, so, you know, now we're hearing that, the, you know, the negotiations have been ongoing really since uh, August 31st, and we're hearing that, the, that uh, Brazil uh, will allow uh, about 50 million gallons of tariff-free ethanol imports through mid-December. Uh, and while that is better than nothing, it certainly is not the long-term solution that we've been looking for. Uh, and we're going to continue to push uh, uh, USTR and USDA to negotiate a, a resolution that really provides the long-term certainty and predictability that we need in that marketplace. All right. Jeff, I back to the uh, SRE decision. Have you been contacted by anyone in the administration by any, any type of announcement or formal, you know, are they going to make a big thing out of that or are they going to low-key it or what, what do you think here? Uh, we haven't been uh, really informed what the plan is for, for announcing this. Uh, you know, we have it on pretty good authority that, uh, the, that the directive has been issued to EPA. Um, but in terms of, of how EPA, you know, takes that directive and implements it, the timing of that decision, uh, and exactly how they're going to do that, none of those details have been shared. And in fact, I'm not sure EPA has them all hammered out yet. I would think they would want to make some uh, political hay with this, with the election, but on the other hand, try not to uh, thumb, the, uh, you know, poke a finger at uh, the oil industry at the same time. 
Yeah, I, I think the administration will be very careful um, about how they about how they roll this out uh, for exactly those reasons, Mike. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Thanks for the latest, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Later, we'll get the biodiesel industry's reaction to what we think is going to be confirmation on this SRE issue. We'll talk with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board later. But up next, reaction from Kevin Ross, President of the National Corn Growers Association. We'll also be able to talk crop conditions in his state of Iowa. That's coming up next here on AOA. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer filled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, let's start with China. Your thoughts on the, their purchases and where we're at as far as sales to them when it comes to soybean? Well, we've been very uh, pleased to see that the pace picking up for sales. Obviously, we are uh, we're at the, almost a record level. We'll see when we get the numbers this week in terms of new crop sales uh, as we start the new marketing year. So, uh, you know, we've been thinking for a while that there was uh, going to be a real good effort from the Chinese in terms of implementing the phase one agreement. And I think we're seeing that happen. You know, we had to get through the time period when Brazil is the normal kind of southern hemisphere exporter and their main window. Uh, That window has, uh, the the shipments are certainly winding down. We're all hearing talk about the prices in Brazil going up. And we're seeing them now turn to the United States. So they've got a nice purchase book on from, from the U.S., as do other countries. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. 
Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so we just heard from Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. They expect, but are still waiting for a confirmation, that the decision has been made that EPA will not grant these uh, gap year waivers to the uh, Renewable Fuels Standard. Let's talk about that now with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, good to talk with you again. Your reaction, I know you're happy with this decision as you wait for its confirmation. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Uh, it's a, It's definitely a... A positive step in the right direction, and and uh, these gap year waivers in general were, uh, a, a, you know, a huge stretch by the oil industry to try to get these through. But uh, um, you know, at the end of the day, it looks like we're going to get some positive news. We're we're very very hopeful. We would like to, uh, you know, make sure that this gets done. We've seen the oil industry come in at the last second on, uh, you know, on on issues before and and uh, come up with something different. But I I feel like we're in a pretty good spot with this one. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can just move on from uh, this and they can implement the RFS like it's supposed to be done. You and other uh, corn leaders and biofuels leaders have talked and talked with the administration, talked directly with the president. You thought you were able to get some headway on this, but uh, it had been frustrating. But uh, a tough, tight campaign and election year, um, that may have swung, uh, may, may have made the difference here in, in getting this point across. You know, it's absolutely possible. That's, that's what, uh, you know, is pushing this too. But, you know, again, it was a big stretch on these gap year waivers. And I think, uh, at, you know, at the end of the day, people just taking a step back and, and, uh, once, you know, I know, I know that Senator Ernst has been in the president's ear about this as well as other folks. Uh, uh, she's absolutely been a champion on this and brought this up again recently when he was in Iowa. Um, you know, these types of conversations are ones that, uh, you know, bring this to the forefront of, uh, of the president's thoughts. And I think really when you dove down into it, um, you know, he having to take some action himself and, and, uh, and, and pushing the EPA that way is the way it sounds to, you know, to, to move past these waivers and not grant them. And so hopefully, you know, like I said, we get confirmation of this deal in, in the, in the way that we want and we can, uh, um, you know, again, move on to the next step and, and uh, work, work to continue the, uh, the future discussions on, on fuels instead of, you know, instead of trying to uh, work on this issue, which is one that uh, has been frustrating in the past, Mike. Well, he said, the president said he would talk to EPA about this, didn't he? He did, he did. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've uh, uh, heard that and, and uh, definitely wanted to make sure that uh, these conversations were happening. We've had some conversations uh uh, recently with EPA on, on lots of other issues, and uh, and this keeps getting brought up as well in the conversations that we have to make sure that uh, it's, you know, not forgotten about and make sure that they're hearing it from us every chance we get. Um, and we're going to continue that, uh, you know, beating that drum until we have this, uh, until we have it finally resolved. So uh, can't, can't quit yet, but uh, hopefully we can, you know, hopefully they just come out with this, uh, this confirmation here of, of that direction and, and, uh, uh, that would be a, definitely a, a good move for you know going into uh, going into the fall here, giving us some clarity as to uh, you know as the policy and and also if we can get the RVOs set uh, 
uh, and hear those numbers. Um, I think you know that that type of direction within you know within the industry would be very good. Yeah, it doesn't fix all problems, but it would sure be a big step in the right direction, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It, and and certainly, uh, you know, like I said, there's other other issues that uh, uh, that we've got to work on. You know, there's some uh, uh, different technical issues within uh, within ethanol policy that we still work with. Uh, and that's some of the conversations we've had with EPA here recently, uh, trying to make sure that that we can pave the way for higher blends of ethanol moving forward. Um, those conversations are ongoing, and and uh, I think you know soon we'll hopefully have a, uh, some further legislation dropped in the House to. Um, you know, talk about the future of biofuels, and, and uh, hopefully we get some positive responses from uh, from congressmen and women all across the U.S. I think uh, uh, the, the you know the story we had to tell around agriculture and around biofuels is absolutely fantastic, and we've got to get ginned up about it. We got to get excited about it again, and and uh, you know these these uh, uh, levels that we've been at, we know we can achieve higher ones. We've got big yields coming, so we got to do something with this crop and. Um, you know, exports are great, and we're going to continue to push on all that stuff too. But uh, this is, you know, our Intel markets are, are just huge for us as far as uh, biofuels go. We're talking with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. When you have an election year like this one, Kevin, it's a chance to get the ear and the attention of those running for office. Of course, there's also, as we've seen before, uh, People running for office can tell you lots of things. When they're running for office, it's getting them to follow through once they're in office. That's the that's the challenge. <laughs> it really is, and you know, and that's one of the things that uh, relationships I think uh, become very very key, and uh, it's something we work very hard on. You know, having the right people in the right spots of our staff, and uh, as well, you know, having those contact points within you know whatever administration is in there. Um, you know, I'm on the phone a lot with uh, folks in different agencies of the administration, and um, certainly we have we have other folks that are doing the same thing. And just making sure that you have that points of con- those points of contact and and uh, can have those discussions on a, on a pretty regular basis, and really um, you know have open and honest dialogue is is uh, is key in making that happen. But uh, you're exactly right. When administrations uh, you know come in, you got to work within them. You got to figure out how. Uh, you know, how they kick, and, and uh, sometimes that takes a little bit. But uh, I think we're making some, some really good progress with things right now. How do you view the, as the, we wait to see if Congress can pass another coronavirus aid package or not, so far ethanol has been left out. Uh, the approach has seemed to be, well, we help corn farmers, uh, then you're helping the ethanol industry. If we help soybean growers, we're helping the biofuels, uh, the biodiesel industry. Uh, and no, But no direct money right to the uh, other than some maybe some you know uh, payroll protection money or some things like that uh, how do you feel about that as that debate continues on whether or not there should be direct aid to the biofuels industry or should it be left up to usda discretion what are your thoughts on that yeah well we really think that uh you know any and all aid that uh, goes to the biofuels industry it should be really coinciding with uh, the type of things they're doing for the oil industry um, you know, they definitely need help, and we've advocated for help through uh, either through USDA or through uh, uh, these assistance programs, and definitely this next package. We've been very vocal on trying to make sure that uh, uh, the language is correct, that biofuel fuel producers will be eligible. And so the, the Senate package is just a little bit light on that language, was not uh, quite as specific as we'd like it to be, um, uh, and the House package is a little bit better. So we certainly, uh, you know, want to see want to see that move um, and help out our friends in those industries because they're certainly vital to our farmers going forward here in the fall. Uh, we got to have these plants open and running and grinding corn. And, and uh, um, 
you know, those are just, uh, just again, some of the things that we advocate for, for our, on behalf of our partners. We, we get vocal on, uh, on the meat issues as well and, and certainly back up our folks in the beef, pork, and dairy industries and, uh, in the poultry industries as well and, and try to make sure that we're, we're talking with those folks. But, uh, right now farmers are hurting too. And so this is, the, it's been a challenge to try to, uh, navigate those waters because we, you know, a, a lot of people needing that uh, direct assistance to the farm level, and that's something that uh, we can't uh, we can't shy away from. And we've been very, uh, very active on getting these CFAP dollars and and uh, uh, other dollars that uh, you know flow directly to the farmer too. All right, uh, there in Iowa where you're at, how do uh, crops look? You've had dry weather, you've had derecho. As you head to harvest, how do things look? You know, right now, uh, it, it looks tough in my area. We've, <laughs> it's been raining the last few days, though, Mike, and we've gotten more rain. I think uh, uh, we were about 1.9 inches here a couple hours ago, and that's uh, essentially more rain than we've had the entire growing season. Uh, I think we had one other rain that was over an inch, and that was, I don't know, back in May or something. So it's been uh, uh, it's been extremely dry right, right there at home for, for me. Um, it's going to be an interesting fall when we get, get these machines rolling and uh, early yields are extremely variable from some high moisture corn and some silage appraisals that we've had, uh, uh, you know, had in the area. Um, but uh, anxious to get things moving, and, and uh, uh, regardless, it's you know going to be what it'll be at this point. And this this rain for us a little bit too little too late, but uh, we'll take it for the moisture for sure. Will it help the beans at all? You know, there's a few green uh, green fields around yet. Uh, there's a lot of them are turning fast and. Um, it, it certainly uh, it certainly will help some, but I would estimate in our area, you know, maybe only 30% of them that, that, that can take advantage of this uh, this round of moisture. Uh, it, it's just, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a tough one because our corn is, is basically dried up. There's a lot of streaks out there in the hillsides and um, some, you know, some green streaks in there that uh, maybe there's some, some corn that, that can take advantage of it too, but it's just not much. Uh, you don't have to go too far away and things look a lot better though, and, and uh I know there's going to be some, you know, some hybrids that uh, handled this stress a lot different than others, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how these things shake out because uh, it's just, just an interesting year for us, that's for sure. Well, maybe next time we call, we'll catch you on a combine, okay? Yeah, sounds great, Mike. I appreciate it. Okay, we'll talk to you then. Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. All right, up next, American Farm Bureau polled both uh, the presidential candidates on their positions on ag issues we'll go over those questions and the responses we'll talk with dale moore executive vice president the american farm bureau federation next on aoa hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture don't go away more adams on agriculture coming right up adams on agriculture Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Wearing a seatbelt while driving or riding in a vehicle can greatly reduce the risk of injury or death. Sadly, half of all roadway fatalities are unbuckled drivers and passengers. People who aren't buckled endanger not only themselves, but others in the vehicle as well. Everyone riding in vehicles should be properly restrained to increase the likelihood of survival. 
Drivers should make sure that all occupants of the vehicle, including themselves, are buckled up. Drive safe. Save lives. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. With the monthly WASDE report due out on Friday, grain traders making their final preparations for those report numbers. Generally, the trade expecting to see declines in production from the August report. Brazilian crop agency CONAB raising its estimates for soybean and corn production for the 2019-2020 growing season as good weather boosted productivity. USDA saying that 195,000 tons of soybeans sold to China for 2020-21. Continuing a string of recent sales, an hour into the day, November soybeans up two and a quarter at 981. January up a penny and a half at 985. December corn up five and a quarter at 365 and a quarter. Wheat futures trending into positive territory. Kansas City wheat December up 11 and a quarter at 482 and a quarter. Chicago wheat December up 10 and a half at 554 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December up six and three quarters at 542 and a quarter. A rally is underway for livestock at the Merck in live cattle. October up a dollar 22 at 105.92. December up a dollar two at 110.20. Feeder cattle October up two dollars 62 cents at 140.87. Mostly lower cash cattle sales seen yesterday. Dress business mostly 160 to 161. Live deals in Kansas and Texas mostly at 101. Two dollars lower than a week ago. Lean hog futures seeing sharp advances. October up three dollars at sixty-four thirty-seven. Outside markets: the Dow up one hundred sixty, S&P up twenty-two. October crude oil down thirty-six. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, as the uh, November election draws closer, the American Farm Bureau Federation has surveyed both President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden about their positions on various ag issues. Here to tell us about that is Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dale, good to talk with you again. Tell us about this survey that you sent to each campaign. 
Well, Mike, uh, thank you as always uh, for the opportunity to, A, to get out of the, the virtual office and, and visit with folks across the country. And very much appreciate uh, your attention to all the things that affect the men and women uh, that I have the privilege of working for. This survey is, is uh, just yet another chapter in a 40-year process that uh, American Farm Bureau has done relative to each presidential cycle um, over the last 10, I guess, uh, just to do the simple math where we provide a, a list of questions based around the key policy issues that our grassroots members and our board have identified as the things that are affecting agriculture, kind of north, south, east, west, uh, in the broad kind of sense, and ask for, for their input, uh, ask for their you know answers to the questions. We take the, their answers. We don't edit them. We don't uh, revise them. We don't do anything with them other than put them side by side, and here's the answer to question one, question two, question three. We get that out to our members, and, and thanks to, to you and, and others in, in the media, they share those, too, so that, you know, again, farmers and ranchers and, and rural citizens can take a look and see what uh, the candidates are saying uh, about uh, how they would look at certain policies, how they would uh, take on certain issues and, and address certain challenges that are facing uh, not only farmers and ranchers, but our rural communities as well. How many questions were on the survey? I believe that there are, uh, what, 10 questions, Mike? I, I have to admit, okay. I've got about uh, three different pieces of paper here in front of me. The one thing that we've looked at uh, as we go through these questions is is making sure we're touching base on a number of issues. They touch base on trade, um, labor, certainly the environmental issues, sustainability, uh, the economy, uh, but also what they you know look to on, on the rural uh, lifestyle, the kinds of things that are, you know, impacting our rural communities uh, that certainly involve agriculture, certainly part of the agricultural fabric, but also go beyond uh, those kinds of uh, touch points that are so so critical to all the citizens in, in the rural community. So it's uh, one of those areas where, where we enjoy uh, getting a chance to let them answer the questions. We don't make, uh, uh, you know, any kind of editorial or, or political type of comment on them, but rather just provide the straight-up answers uh, to folks to take a look at from which they can can draw their own conclusions. And, and it's part of an ongoing effort that, uh, you know, our I Farm, I Vote uh, process, which is also going live today, uh, kind of ties into helping remind the men and women across the country uh, that have an opportunity, you know, if, if they have not yet or don't know how to register to vote, we've got information that helps them on that front. Uh, they can check their voter registration status because in this COVID-19 time, there's always questions like that to pop up. And and any changes that are occurring in their particular voter, uh, you know, district or region that uh, or state that are going on uh, provides updates for them so that they are aware of any changes that are occurring. And then we ask them to make a pledge to vote because one of the most important responsibilities we have where we have the privilege we have the opportunity to vote for the men and women that that run this country uh there's also a responsibility to that and and it's something that is a duty for each of us uh so that we can ensure that that what our needs are what the concerns of our fellow citizens are are being addressed by those that uh, we elect to fill these important positions in this particular case the president of the united states we're talking with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, as Farm Bureau has surveyed each campaign about some ag issues. Let's get into some of those, and we'll 
Uh, I want to get hear what each candidate had to say, what each campaign had to say. On the subject of trade, what were the responses? Well, here again, Mike, I'm, I'm going to be dodging on you a bit because I'm, I'm going to basically indicate they both address that issue. They both indicate they want to look forward. Uh, but again, this is one where, where I am not uh, drawing conclusions of what the candidates say. I rather encourage folks, uh, you know, to, to check into it themselves and take a look at, at the side-by-side answers that the, the candidates are putting out there and, and how they're looking at whether they're, you know, bilateral trade agreements, multilateral trade agreements, uh, you know, agreements in the past, agreements looking forward in the future, uh, and certainly the other challenges that we face on the trade front. Uh, again, the, the key part of this effort is to, to make sure that folks understand that the Farm Bureau is not pointing to or making a, a drawing a conclusion as to who whose answer is best on any particular issue, but rather letting uh, those that we work for read through those and determine uh, you know what what that information does to help them make their decision. Right. Yeah, I'm not asking for uh, you know commentary or or saying one or the other. I'm just asking uh, you know what did each say? Uh, what about uh, did either pr- make any proposals for uh, you know new positions or or new proposals uh, for agriculture moving forward? Uh, I would say they were all fairly uh, fairly carefully drawn to indicate that that they are are going to look into those. Uh, think of it a little bit like we hear. Uh, you know, when when you see the confirmation hearings, uh, we intend to look into these things. We intend to uh, to make determinations based on what needs are, uh, and in terms of particular positions or or situations that they are laying out. Um, you know, for example, you know, one of the questions we asked uh, was on regulatory reform. You know, and indications. Uh, you know, obviously, President Trump talked about some of the changes that they have made, and you know, Vice President Biden. Uh, indicated that they are taking, they will be taking a look if he is elected. They will be taking a look at at all these regulations and and making uh, you know determinations based on that review. Um, so again, they're they're careful in the way they've answered their questions, and in that process, we anticipate uh, that there's there's enough information there that, that suggests that that both camps, uh, and as we see this in agriculture time and time again. Uh, both camps are looking at the fact that, you know, agriculture, you know, it's not Republican or Democrat, but it is something that, you know, is very much focused on what uh, farmers, ranchers, rural communities are looking uh, looking toward in terms of uh, their needs relative to, you know, the federal government, whether it's in terms of regulatory reform and scaling back some of those impacts, or in terms of, you know, providing uh, assistance uh, like we've seen with, with trade with COVID-19, with ad hoc disasters, uh, and so on down, down through the years. What about ag labor? Did they take positions on that? Uh, they both gave responses on, on ag labor and continuing to, to look at uh, the combination of examining national security and, and also recognizing, and I think we've seen that again with, with this year's COVID-19, understanding how critical labor is to agriculture uh, and, you know, not just, you know, whether we have a guest worker program that, that is, you know, workable for farmers and ranchers uh, in terms of the labor needs that they need met, but also just in general recognizing the importance of having a good, solid foundation when it comes to worker safety, uh, when it comes to ensuring that, that uh, you know, the, the supply chain, if you will, when we're working from 
you know, again, these issues, COVID-19 may be a, a one-time in our lifetime kind of situation, but it has certainly highlighted the need for being able to address uh, these issues. And uh, I feel pretty confident in reading the answers from both candidates that uh, they recognize how critical uh, labor is to agriculture, a steady, reliable, legal workforce uh, that is uh, affordable uh, kind of hits all of those marks. What about biofuels? Well, biofuels uh, is, a, is one of those areas where uh, we see, uh, you know, that sort of interesting disposition where, where folks are looking at, at energy independence, they're looking at the combination of, of how, uh, you know, the, the renewable fuel standard that has, you know, been around for, you know, several uh, presidential terms and uh, looking at how they can improve that process. I think there is certainly recognition uh, as to how critical it is uh, to, uh, you know, the, particularly the corn sector uh, and certainly increasingly to you know, some of the, the, the oil uh, crops like, uh, you know, soybeans and some of the other oil seeds. So they kind of moving, moving forward on how they put those pieces together uh, in their own administrations, uh, respectfully, uh, it, it's clear that they know that for farmers and ranchers, particularly, uh, I'd say, you know, it, it's one of those areas where they've got to proceed carefully because I think they've also, and, and you've you've covered this uh, over the years too, how, you know, a good uh, balance is, is uh, going to be critical in all of this to make sure that, you know, it's fair to the ethanol industry, uh, fair to the biodiesel industry, uh, fair to the livestock industry, you know, going forward and and particularly just maintaining that balance that also helps, um, helps frankly, with uh, the politics in, in farm country because, uh, again, this is another one of those issues where, you know, it's, it's not Republican or Democrat. Uh, you know, it's uh, if you're an elected official, uh, you know, running in a, a corn state uh, or in a soybean state, uh, you're going to hear a lot about how the renewable fuels and biofuels uh, is such a critical part of, of having a position on. And again, we're talking about uh, my read. We're talking about both candidates indicating how they are striving to achieve a balance in that process. Real quick, Dale, where can people go to see the responses by both campaigns? Uh, if they go to fb.org, it's there on our website. Uh, and I know other other things okay. are probably going to make it available in different ways, but certainly at fb.org. Uh, they can not only take a look at that, they can also look at the iFarm, iVote information okay. uh, that we are putting out today uh, so they can Check. be well-informed as they get ready for this next election. Right. We encourage people to do so. Thanks, Dale. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your attention on this. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel... 
Give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. I spend a lot of time in the garage but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. A toast to soil health. More and more landowners and their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's continue looking at the storm damage. We're joined now by Megan Anderson, Iowa State Extension Field Agronomist. Megan, thank you for joining us. You had a couple weeks now. I know you've been out uh, looking at fields, assessing the damage. What what can you tell us? What's the overview that you've seen? It's really remarkable how widespread 
widespread <laughs> the damages. I mean, I know we keep saying that, but it's just it's completely unbelievable how uh, to me how uh, people all the way out in West Central Iowa are affected and have flat fields, and and people all the way over pretty close to the Illinois border have been affected. So the the size and scale of it is amazing. And then I would say the the really disappointing thing to see has been how quickly the corn crop has gone downhill here since the time of that storm. And we were already struggling a little bit with some dryness in some areas and that has basically just spread and that combined with the heat that we had last week has really sent the corn crop downhill. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. As we await confirmation of the administration's decision to deny the gap year waivers to the the renewable fuel standard, I want to get the biodiesel industry's perspective on this. Joining us now is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. And Kurt, it's not done until it's done, but uh, you have to be very uh, hopeful and optimistic that uh, finally we're going to get some resolution, at least on this issue. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Glad to be with you. You're exactly right. It's not done until the ink is dry. We've, we've seen in the past uh, efforts that we felt addressed the concerns that we've had with this administration's implementation of the renewable fuel standard and, and following the law, only to be undermined later with, with half measures and, and rewrites that didn't fulfill uh, the agreement as it was understood. So while you're right, we're hopeful in that uh, we'll finally get some resolution to this absolutely absurd uh, motivation by uh, refiners to undermine this program. Uh, we're hopeful that we'll see it sooner rather than later so that, uh, you know, the ag industry and biofuels producers know what the the, the landscape is going to look like heading into 2021 with respect to the uh, renewable fuel standard. Yeah, because then hopefully this decision means they're going to abide by that Tenth Circuit ruling on uh, how to handle these a small refinery exemption requests, and basically the court saying the way EPA had been handling them was not right. You're exactly right. The the, the EPA uh, was strongly rebuked by the Tenth Circuit in in illegally uh, granting a handful of small refinery exemptions. That this happened back in January. We believe that this was a perfect opportunity for EPA to right the wrong that was created under primarily under Administrator uh, Pruitt in handing out these small refiner exemptions like candy to the refiners. But alas, at the end of the day, what have refiners done? They've essentially doubled down now uh, requesting 67 small refiner exemptions going all the way back to the year 2011 to try to circumvent the the ruling of the 10th Circuit. You know, I, I, to some extent, I feel bad for uh, President Trump and Administrator Wheeler. They, they've got to be aghast at the audacity of small refiners and the level of greed and uh, relentless requests to this administration to help them skirt the law and 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 uh, avoid their obligation under the renewable fuel standard. You know, it, it, it's not the fault of the biofuels community that we're once again asking this president and this EPA administrator to do the right thing here. All we're asking them to do 
is is follow the law. And it's the small refiners who have gone above and beyond at the trough here to try to continue to break the law and and request 67 additional small refiner exemptions. That's why I say I'm hopeful about the news that we saw out of Reuters uh, earlier this week. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's it's really a no-brainer. This is what should happen. So I'm pleased that we've, we're seeing um, the, the momentum in that direction. But at the end of the day, this is exactly what EPA and this administration should do without question. So I'm just I'm just glad to see it that that it, it appears to be heading that way sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's why if it happens, I've called it better late than never. Uh, we're talking with Kurt Kavark with the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, I think back to the beginning of the year, there was so much hope and optimism. Uh, for the biodiesel industry because, uh, in large part, you were, you were getting the, the tax credit back. Uh, who knew what was, no one knew what was coming, you know, this year that you would be hit with the pandemic and then this gap year uh, waiver situation. We thought that was resolved with the 10th Circuit ruling, uh, but it hasn't been resolved up till now, but maybe it will be now. Uh, have Has the tax credit been completely offset by these other factors or what impact has it had on the biodiesel industry this year yeah great question mike you 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 frame that perfectly you know we were heading into 2020 with uh, a five-year extension of the the blenders tax credit that was enacted uh late december of last year hopeful that everything was kind of lined up for this industry to have that market certainty to have that policy certainty to really uh, blossom and come into its own this year. Unfortunately, as you mentioned with with COVID, you know I'm not I'm not going to say that what's happened to us is any more significant than the the loss of life and the tragedy tragedy that everybody has been feeling from this and the economic downturn. But it really has been has caused a missed opportunity for for our industry. It's been a lifeline, the tax credit, to help uh, our producers to get through this and weather. This economic headwind is from from loss of demand and, and disruptions in feedstock, uh, etc. But it, it, it's a little disappointing. We we were hoping for a a, a, a gangbuster 2020, and it's kind of turned out to be very lackluster, both because of uh, demand destruction as a result of uh, COVID, and then as you mentioned, the uh, the continuation of the small refiner exemptions undermining volume through the renewable fuel standard. I'm hopeful that. You know, we do have, we still have that tax credit for four more years, or, or I'm sorry, for a few more years prospectively. Uh, we do still have the winds uh, preventing uh, subsidized and dumped uh, biodiesel coming in from Argentina and Indonesia on the books. So we've got some degree of policy certainty. I'm hopeful that once we put this the pandemic behind us, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, that we'll see an additional build out in the industry and the growth that we were, ho- we were hoping for. Yeah, I've covered the biofuels industry for many, many years, and it always seems like when there's one step forward, there's at least one, if not two, backwards, and you're always trying to recover from those things. We look forward to the time when we get everything going forward in a positive manner and and be full speed ahead for the biofuels industry. This announcement, we hope that it's coming very soon on the uh, SREs, the gap year waivers, uh, hopefully will be a, a step in the right direction. Always good to talk with you, Kurt. Thanks for the update. Great to be with you, Mike. Take care. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. So 
We wait for confirmation on that decision. We'll update that tomorrow. Also, we're going to get an update. Where are we with the African swine fever? There's been a case reported now in Germany. Is this under control or is it still spreading? We're going to get an update on that and much more coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll be with us right here on AOA. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe, everyone. <music> 